Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe for this Wednesday, the 1st of March in London. Coming up today... Made in China, stock soar as manufacturing hits a decade high. Losing its luster, Goldman's Investor Day fizzles on consumer banking question. Price rise pain, UK shop inflation hits a record high with little relief ahead. Tata asks for half a billion pounds from government, Hancock's WhatsApp revelations, and as Americans work from home, Europeans head back to the office. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers, and I'm Leanne Gerrans. Plus, cash is king. U.S. Treasuries yield more than a 60-40 portfolio for the first time since 2001. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. On Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Here are the stories that we're following today. China's economy is showing signs of a strong post-COVID recovery. The country's manufacturing PMI hit 52.6 last month. That's the highest reading since April of 2012 and comes after COVID restrictions were dropped late last year. But Raul Ghosh, Managing Director for Moody's ESG Solutions Group, says it's too early to tell if the recovery will last. I think what we do need to see, though, is how long the data continues to stay strong. Clearly, we're going to get a boost for GDP in the first half of the year. The real question is what happens into the back half of the year, into 2024. That was Royal Ghosh. China's President Xi has given a speech ahead of the National People's Congress, talking about the need for sweeping changes to the country's government and more influence within private companies. Now, Goldman's CEO David Solomon is struggling to shake off the bank's negative perception amongst investors. Analysts at the bank's Investor Day pushed him for answers on the future of the lender's $6 billion loss-making consumer division. At one point, Solomon got visibly flustered. Here's what he had to say. I appreciate that everyone wants more answers on the consumer platforms and their trajectory going forward. We are focused on executing on what's in front of us and we're looking at strategic all strategic options available to us and i i know i know that you want you know more clarity but i would i would ask you to appreciate that i'm just not in a position to say anything more than what we said 
Markets weren't convinced, with Goldman stock seeing its worst performance since its poor quarterly earnings in January. In a bid to bump up profits, the bank is currently cutting 6.5% of its headcount. Prices in UK shops are rising at their fastest rate since at least 2005, as the cost of living crisis shows little sign of easing. Bloomberg's James Wilcock reports. Prices in shops surged by 8.4% in the year to February, according to the British Retail Consortium. It's the largest reading since the shop price index was created in 2005. Energy bills, tougher trading conditions and a weaker pound are all driving up inflation, with food prices hitting a 14.5% increase. And with inflation, every little hurts. Research firm Kantar has found the typical annual bill has increased by around £800 because costs have gone up so much over the last 12 months. In London, I'm James Walcock, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Now to the collapsed cryptocurrency exchange FTX. The firm's former engineering chief has pleaded guilty to criminal charges as part of a cooperation deal with prosecutors. Nishad Singh is the third member of the exchange's inner circle to turn on co-founder Sam Bankman-Fried. Singh admitted that he knew the trading arm Alameda Research was borrowing billions of dollars in funds from FTX without customers' knowledge. For the first time since 2001, some of the world's least risky assets are delivering bigger payouts than a 60-40 portfolio. On Tuesday, the yield on the six-month US Treasury bills rose as high as 5.14%. That's above the 5.07% yield you'd currently get out of a classic mix of US equities and fixed income securities. The shift underscores just how much the Fed's aggressive tightening has upended the investing world and reduced risked incentives. Those are our top stories this morning. A shift on markets, a shift too on the property market. An interesting story that caught my eye this morning about how some of the world's richest people are now investing in property while essentially everyone else is doing something else. Yes, I think that if you're a small-time uh, property owner, you know, you're probably quite worried about the possibility of jobs, not just in, in the UK market mm. of, you know, the value of property, um, but some sort of slightly cannier, perhaps, uh, investors. Slightly richer, let's slightly be fair. Richer with, with if, you're if you're talking about millions and billions, it's slightly different. Yeah, absolutely. But listen, that there have also been investors in London, you know, that have been preparing, certainly a number of rates have, have been preparing for the downturn in property mm. prices, and they're snapping them up. They're Zara founder, Amancio Ortega, of course, Spain's richest person, he's bought 10 properties in North America and the UK. For just a casual $2 billion, you know, <laughs> just, just 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 some small change. But I mean, this the, the interesting, these are figures from the, the broker Knight Frank, um, written up by our colleague Benjamin, Stu- Benjamin Stupples. But essentially, they're saying that, you know, wealthy individuals, family offices, closely mm. held companies are the active buyers now in commercial real estate, institutional investors getting out because higher uh-huh. rates mean that it's less of an, an interesting investment for them. Okay, I think that's that's uh, also interesting. That's a fun one. I think a little bit more serious, though, um, the PMI data out of China is really fascinating. We need to dig into the details a little bit more. Um, the rebound after COVID seems, you know, quite strong. But Xi Jinping making this speech ahead of the National People's Congress that starts on Sunday, goes into next week. I've just got to highlight some of the phraseology that he was using, deepening structural reform in the financial sector, exercising more control over science and technology work. There's a great piece on the Bloomberg Terminal this morning about Amcham, the American Chamber of Commerce, saying a lot of US companies now don't see China as a profitable market for them. Mm. I think it's quite significant. So pitch for our new Caroline's phraseology corner. Second, yeah. right. Up next, Tata asks for half a billion pounds from government. Hancock's WhatsApp revelations. And as Americans work from home, Europeans head back to the office.
Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Now, the paper review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. Joining us now, Bloomberg's Leanne Gerrans. Let's start with the Financial Times headline. Jaguar Land Rover owner demands £500 million from the UK for battery factory. Yes, indeed, Caroline. Now, Tata Motors is asking for this vast amount of government aid, and this is to fund a new battery factory. The Financial Times says this decision is set to be so pivotal for the future of the UK car industry. Now, sources close to the Financial Times say the Indian group is making a decision that's between Spain and southwest England for its plant and has really given MPs weeks to pledge this vast amount of financial support. Now, as you did mention, Tata is seeking £500 million of aid and this will include things like grants and support packages such as assistance for energy costs and also for research funding. Now, Tata is considering a partnership with the Chinese battery maker InVision, which would involve running a factory in Somerset to supply Jaguar Land Rover's mm. new range of electric cars. So this is all about just wanting investment to move things on in the car industry. And a UK government official has told the FT we are engaging with them. Whether or not the talks go anywhere depends on whether the final amount can be agreed. But 
like here we are, a huge mm. amount of money. Well, but we also know that we want investment in electric cars in this country. So we're going to be watching this with great interest. Yeah, I think it, it is very, very important. It's an absolute scandal that UK car manufacturing has slumped in the way that it has. We had the lowest output since like 1956 last year. Um, according to the SMMT data, you had the closure of the Honda factory and so on. But yes, £500 million for a battery factory, but that's five times what the government had pledged to the collapsed British vault. Mm. Is it going to get it in a matter of weeks? I, I think that's so doubtful. But Leanne, that's an interesting story. But we yeah. also know that British vault is now being bought out by an Australian yeah. company. That deal's underway. But Caroline, as you did say, UK car production has dwindled last year to its lowest level since the 1950s. And that's following the closure of the Honda plant over in Swindon. So is this investment necessary to pick up now? Okay, let's turn to the Telegraph next, Leanne. The lockdown files is their headline. Matt Hancock rejected expert advice on care home testing. WhatsApp messages reveal. Tell us more. I just want to say the journalist who has revealed this, Isabel Oakshot, is trending all over Twitter today. So if you click on your Twitter trends, you'll see that. But yes, uh, this revelation comes after leaked messages seen by the Telegraph and these have now been revealed. So Chris Whitty told the House Secretary early in April 2020. So that was about a month into the pandemic that there should be testing for all going into care homes. Now, Matt Hancock apparently, according to these messages, rejected the chief medical officer's advice. Mm. Instead, the advice from the government appears to have been tailored to what was possible rather than saving the most lives or medical advice. So let me give you an example example, for um, Matt Hancock expressed concerns that expanding testing in home in care homes could get in the way of a self-imposed target of 100,000 COVID tests per day. Now, I do remember that figure and them pledging to do that mm. just so they could track and trace COVID more accurately. Now, in the first two years of the pandemic, there was more than 40,000 COVID deaths in care homes in England. And we did really see the most vulnerable really bore the brunt. And the Telegraph has obtained more than 10,000 WhatsApp messages sent between Matt Hancock and other ministers at that time. Now, as I said, Isabel Oakshot is a journalist who is writing this series, The Lockdown Files, and she was also the ghostwriter who wrote Matt Hancock's autobiography. <laughs> Hancock is also... I just think that we need to give his side of yes. the story. You know, Hancock is considering all options and a source close to the House Secretary says she's broken a legal NDA and her behaviour is outrageous. So important to put that there. But there we are, leaked text messages about what was going on during those early days of the pandemic, especially when it came to care homes. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very interesting. Uh, Wall Street Journal, work from home. Americans working from home. Europeans and Asians are heading back to the office, apparently. Yeah, this is a... That is right. Are we more diligent, do you think? I don't know. But return to the office rates in Paris and Tokyo have climbed to over 75%, while the US sits at around half. So Americans are embracing remote working and are also turning their backs on offices compared to us 
overseas, basically. Now, bigger homes, longer commutes and a tighter labour market helped explain why Americans spend less time in the office than both European and Asians. But something interesting, Tony Danker, we know that name, he's the director of the CBI, is going to give a speech today and he's going to say that UK companies basically need to strike a new deal with workers and they need to give them the chance to have more flexible working or risk losing the war of talent. Okay, Leanne, thank you very much for that. Let's turn now to Goldman Sachs and their investor day. They'd been hoping it would reset the narrative around the bank. Instead, the CEO, David Solomon, came under pressure over the performance of their consumer business. Bloomberg's Charlie Wells joins us now for more. Good morning to you, Charlie. So did Goldman executives accomplish any of what they set out to do yesterday, which was to change the narrative around the bank stock? Not really. So they had a really big task ahead of them, which was really to try to, you know, make the story about Goldman Sachs change. They had a really bad 2022. Profits fell by half. They had a lot of bad news about a foray into consumer banking that just really didn't work and they had to retrench from. And so the goal yesterday was to project confidence and to highlight a particular unit, the asset and wealth management unit. It's a $2.5 trillion business that promises to to bring in more stable revenue, more stable profits, but that didn't necessarily change at least sentiment in markets. Yeah, we mentioned that uh, Solomon looked at one point flustered. He was kind of repeatedly questioned. It was, you know, quite tricky. How did markets and analysts respond to what we heard yesterday? Frustration, flustered. He said that in in some senses he was, you know, not happy by a lot of the negativity coming, you know, about the bank um, from partners as well inside that. That bank. And look, when you look at the market reaction, um, the stock fell 4% yesterday. That was the worst performer in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Analysts were also confused because the messaging seemed to be a bit muddled. So, on one hand, when they were talking about this consumer unit, they were saying, look, this is, you know, doing all right, um, you know, we could potentially break even in two years, you know, not a great time frame there. Um, but then, of course, there's this phrase, strategic alternatives that kept being bandied about yesterday, which some took to mean, you know, maybe some aspects, some elements of that consumer unit could be sold off. People familiar with the matter talking about one particular business, Green Sky, an installment lending business that they acquired for, I believe it was about $2.2 billion last year, that potentially being up for sale. Okay. What will the bank need to do then to turn its story and its share price around, Charlie? Well, I wish I had the <laughs> magic. Um, I wish I had the magic you solution don't. there. I think I do not, but I do think that you know providing more specifics here really will be key. Um, one of the solutions that executives talked about was relying more on asset and wealth management, but that is something in essence that they've been talking about since this bank IPO'd in 1999. Mike Mayo, a really veteran analyst of banking at Wells Fargo, said, you know, he really wanted to see um, actions instead of just words on that idea of bringing in more stable revenue, you know, in good markets and bad. Um, And so trying to kind of home in on how specifically they will do this, I think will be key for this bank going forward. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. 
our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.